0: This is episode seven of the Great Speech Podcast on handling difficult questions without looking like an imposter. Dracaris. Only if you know Game of Thrones. It's a great speech podcast for the public speakers. We're going way down deep to look at what makes a communicator. We'll look at all different topics from the bottom to the top. To so get your mind free of all the distractions, and please listen up, listen up, listen up. Listen up. up. <laughs> it's the Great Speech Podcast. 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 It's the Great Speech. Podcast. It's the Great Speech Podcast. Great speech podcast. Great speech podcast. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you, people. Welcome back to the Great Speech Podcast. Hope you guys are doing well. Let's kick off the episode as always with my quote of the episode, which is A wise man can learn more from a foolish question than a fool can learn from a wise answer. And that was from Bruce Lee. What the (laughs) heck? Gosh. do if that. Why the hell? Why earth do I do that? Anyway, uh, that's a quote from Bruce Lee, uh, the master martial artist. Uh, because today we're going to be looking all. At questions and how to handle questions, how to handle well all questions, but including difficult questions. This is uh, this is a topic actually that's as much for my benefit as as it is for yours, because I can tell you that although I've gotten pretty good now at just giving speeches in itself, I can tell you that I still struggle sometimes with the Q and A part of stuff because it's so unpredictable right there's you just don't know what people are gonna ask and you know obviously you know as a barrister of course i have to be able to deal with it so i I can kind of handle it in in questions from judges because you know hey that's what you've got to do but when it's kind of q a's with an audience i still sometimes get a little bit nervous on that one and, and Um, In fact, I still remember, I actually know it's kind of probably a bit of PTSD I have, because I remember quite a while ago I had to give a talk at, uh, I think it was a Google campus, and I was doing a... A workshop on how to give a great elevator pitch. So your elevator pitch is just a short summary of your business or your idea to interest people and get them wanting to know more. So I was doing a talk on it and I prepared my talk because I'm, I'm kind of a geek when it comes to preparation. I need to be. Uber prepared to be kind of fully confident. You know, that's just the way. That's my shtick, right? That's the way I have to do things. And so I was fully prepared for the talk. So I gave the talk. The talk itself, the talk part itself, went well. And then there was a bit of time left over, and so I thought, hey, you know, I'll take some. I'll, I'll say, uh, take some questions. Do a Q and A. You know, things are going well. I'm feeling confident. Let's go. And the kind of the questions came in and they were kind of what I'd expected, you know, how do you handle your, you you know, what do you put in your pitch and that kind of stuff. Uh, And then one lady uh, got up and asked me, so what's your elevator pitch then? And it was like, wait, what? (laughs) Because I hadn't thought about that at all. I put so much effort into preparing for the talk I was going to give it never even occurred to me that somebody may ask me to give my own elevator pitch for my own business so you know i proceeded to kind of flounder and ramble and give a port. probably the worst pitch that's <laughs> ever been given you know in front of people that i've just said oh i know all about how to give a great elevator pitch and the thing about me when i get nervous is that i start to sweat <laughs> right so you know sweat first starts down the back of my neck you know that's fine because no one can see that starts to collect under my armpits again that one's fine i've got a jacket on but the real killer is that i've got a shiny forehead right because because i'm usually shaved you know pretty much bald now anyway uh and then sweat starts to kind of glisten on the top of my head and starts to drip down my nose and it was just one of those where it was oh my goodness it was just embarrassing actually in the end it ended up being really good because uh, people kind of were very forgiving about the fact that i hadn't been able to prepare my own pitch and we kind of talked through okay what what would i do and that ended up being very useful but it still kind of fills me with dread when i think back to it and that's probably why as i say i've got a bit of ptsd so When I thought about doing a podcast episode, I knew I had to do something on how to handle questions, uh, because as I say, it's one that I know many people, many clients I have uh, kind of say, you know, I'm fine with the speech itself, but I worry about what people are going to ask. And it's certainly something that has caught me out. At least once, uh, more than once actually, but I'm definitely getting better at it. So that's why we're going to be covering that in this episode. We're going to be looking at uh, why do we worry about questions? How should we prepare for questions? Uh, What approach should we use to handling questions, especially difficult questions? Uh, And how can we use questions and the way we deal with them to enhance our authority? Uh, And I will also give some tips, some kind of do's and don'ts uh, that I have found uh, have really helped with dealing with the Q&A. Uh, oh I need to remember to to ask you to do this by the way because apparently you know everyone has to do this and I never do please please subscribe to the podcast right somewhere on your phone because I'm sure you are listening. well actually I say you listen to a phone I looked at my analytics you know trying to be all clever uh, and I saw that a lot of people still listen to podcasts on a desktop I have to say I've never done that but if you're listening to a podcast on a desktop somewhere on the desktop as well I assume there will be a button that says subscribe so please Please do that because it means that you'll just always get the latest episode without having to download it in case you forget and everything. So please click the subscribe button and also please share it with other people uh, because I'm sure you know somebody that needs to hear this stuff, right? So share it with them, you know, your Twitter feed, your Facebook or just sending it as a message to a friend. Uh, Let's quickly head to review corner. I got a review this week from Flinty Zeb. Which is such a cool name, <laughs> cool user- username, Flinty Zeb. Hey, Flinty Zeb. Uh, Flinty Zeb says, "Hi, caller. Really loving these podcasts." Please, more Mary Poppins tunes, which is because I think I sung a little bit of Mary Poppins in the last episode. I promise I won't do that again. So no, no more Mary Poppins. Uh, The humor topic was really helpful as I struggled with this when giving legal seminars. Ah, my learned friend. Uh, Welcome. Uh, As they're a tough audience. Yes, lawyers are a tough audience, although I find actually dry jokes work with lawyers for some reason. Um, Thank you for delivering really down to earth. Uh, friendly and realistic advice you're perfect at this thank you very much flinty zeb my learned friend i really appreciate that and yes please do send in your reviews i will give you a shout out makes me feel good when people see podcasts and they see other people have reviewed it they're much more likely to listen so that's a good way of sharing with the rest of the world so appreciate that Uh, so let's think about questions uh what is it about questions why do we worry right why do we worry well if you look at the title of this episode it's all about you know dealing with questions without feeling like an imposter because i think that's the root cause of why we worry about questions it's that we're going to be found out you know there's there's this thing called imposter syndrome which is that no matter how much of an expert you are no matter how long you have been dealing with a certain subject or certain area there's this latent fear That people are going to find you out, that they're going to realize that you just don't know exactly what it is you're doing. It's called imposter syndrome. And now, you know, a question I always had is is imposter spelt with an O or with an E at the end? Imposter, store, or imposter? I looked it up actually, and it says OR is the proper spelling, although ER seems to be accepted. Really don't know why. Anyway, I digress. Imposter syndrome is something I certainly have worried about. Even as a barrister now, after 20 years, I still have an element of that in me. So we're going to be looking at how to deal with that. And in fact, the key thing, the, the important thing to remember, actually, that in a way helps deal with that that imposter syndrome, is that it's not actually the answer that you give that matters. It's the impression or the authority with which you handle the question that is what actually counts the most in your audience's mind. So that's going to be something to remember as we go through my take on how to deal with questions. It's not the answer, but the impression you give that actually matters the most. So let's now go into how you handle questions. I'm going to break this down into five principles first of all, because you know I look like my numbers and lists, uh, and five is always a good one. Uh, so. Principle number one. This one is obvious. I'm sure you know it, but it does not. Uh, it cannot be overstated. Know your stuff. Know your stuff. There is no substitute. And I repeat, none whatsoever for knowing your stuff, for being prepared, for being a subject matter expert in the topic on which you are speaking there is absolutely no substitute whatsoever for it so whatever you have to do to make sure that you are either the greatest authority on the subject in the room or you're the greatest authority on your take of the subject in the room, right? Because you may be speaking to a whole bunch of experts anyway, or you may be speaking to a, a group where there are a few people that actually really do know more than you, but no one will know more than you on the way you approach it or your opinion or your take on the topic. So make sure you have researched and studied and analyzed and read all the books or spoken to the all the experts yourself and done your analysis whatever way you can so that you have kind of a massive reservoir of knowledge on the topic from which to draw. Because what that then means is that first of all, when somebody asks a question, you're more likely to know the answer. But more importantly, as I said, remember it's the impression that you give that rather than just the answer itself that is most important. Well, if you are such a knowledgeable person on the subject, that is going to come through in spades when you are answering the questions. You know, I always say as a rule of thumb, you basically want to only ever use 10% of your total knowledge of a subject when giving a speech and when answering a question. And the reason to do that is that you will give that impression of, listen, I'm, I'm answering your question, giving you this amount of information, but you can tell that I know so much more than I'm actually saying. And that will convey in a sense of authority, of gravitas, and people will come away thinking that that was a person worth listening to. So principle number one, obvious, but still has to be said. No your stuff. Okay, principle number two, and this one is so effective, but people often don't do it. And it's this: predict the question. Predict the question. So often, people just go into a Q and A blind, as it were. They kind of okay, they know their their top their topic, they know the subject, but they don't give any thought whatsoever to what people may actually ask and yet 90 to 95% of the questions that you are going to be asked are entirely predictable. So take a moment before your talk to predict the questions that might be asked, right? So think about it from the audience's point of view. If I was listening to what I'm about to say, What kinds of questions might be prompted in my mind? Think about hard questions, soft questions, kind of left field questions, broad questions, narrow questions, specific questions. Just try to predict what kinds of questions may come up and then think what your answer will be to those questions. And the great thing then is that because almost certainly any questions that come up will be within the field that you have already thought about beforehand you can then give your answer as though it was just off the cuff and spontaneous. And the audience isn't going to know that actually you've already thought deeply about the answer and you're kind of giving something that you've put a lot of thought into. And so they're going to be even more impressed with you. So number two, principle number two is for you to predict the question. And I promise you that will pretty much deal with 90 to 95% of the questions that you'll ever have to face. Um, i do that actually well in a different uh guise because i'm a barrister and when i have to cross examine you know the rule of thumb with cross examination is you never ask a question to which you don't already know the answer right and the only way to do that is to have done such deep analysis and to have thought about well if i ask this what are they going to answer and then to take it from there and it really is possible so in the same way that it's possible for you know a barrister cross examining right you can also predict the question that's going to be asked so that you are ready for the answer. So that is principle number two. Okay, let's go on to principle number three, which actually is more about when you're actually there at the event itself uh, or on the occasion, which is to prime the audience, prime the audience beforehand. Now, what does that mean? well it's a few things the first is as much as you can engage with your audience before you're going to speak with them right so be part of them the useful thing about that is it gets them seeing you as one of them and it's going to help you later on with the kinds of questions or at least the kind of approach to questions that people will take because they will feel that you are a friend as opposed to a foe because you've already mixed with them anyway and it will change the thrust of the questions to make sure they're kind of in your zone of comfort rather than being hostile right so get to know the audience beforehand you can also start to get a sense of well what are the kinds of things that they're interested in and that will help you again with when you then come to answer questions you've already got a bit of a heads up as to their approach to the topic Uh, one of the really useful things actually and again why it's useful to prime the audience is uh, that there's there's often nothing worse than you've given a talk And you now say, hey, the floor is open for questions and there's just silence, right? because nobody wants to be the first person to ask the question. Everybody kind of waits for somebody else. And very often, there won't be somebody who's kind of the brave person to crack the ice. And so you end up with nobody asking any questions, which then makes you worried that you gave such a boring talk that nobody wanted to ask anything at all, which, of course, isn't true. So a useful thing is to engage with the audience beforehand. If you're speaking to an individual member, especially, you know, you can say oh, listen, that's great. Listen, do you mind if I come to you first for the first question if nobody else asks? And when you pre-ask like that, people will always say yes. So that's a useful little t- tip or technique, which is to prime the audience beforehand, get them on side, get a sense of what are they interested in? Make them feel that you are part of them so that the kinds, the tone of the questions you get are friendly and prime the audience with actually a question that you know is going to come up just to break the ice so that then questions will then follow after that. So, number three, principle number three is to prime the audience beforehand. Okay, principle number four. Uh, This one is set the ground rules, set the ground rules. When you are the one being questioned, even though it, it may feel like the audience is the one with the power, in truth, you are the one. You have the microphone, you have the floor, you can set the ground rules. So you can say things like when you will take questions, whether that's at the beginning or all the way through. Or at the end, you control that. You can say how many questions that people get. You know, listen, there's so many people here. Can we all stick to one question each? You can control that generally. Uh, you can remind people to ask questions rather than make statements because you know there's going to be one or two that just want to get up and start Talking on and on and on and making a statement, and then in the end, they kind of throw in a question that really they have no interest in anyway because they just like the sign of their own voice. So, you can remind people to make sure that they ask questions rather than making statements and keeping it short so that everybody gets to ask. All you're doing is you're controlling the narrative, right? You're controlling the circumstance so that it's within your comfort zone. You are setting the parameters of how this Q&A is going to go so that you are more comfortable, which will mean that you're much more likely to kind of have your head about you and answer the questions well than kind of panic and, well, start to sweat like me. (laughs) and then you lose your trade of thought and then it kind of goes all over the place so number four is to set the ground rules and number five and this is actually the most important part which is kind of why i left it to last you know last but not least and all of that principle number five is this understand the different kinds of questioners. Understand the different kind of questioners. And I'll tell you what I mean by that, by dividing them into four different sets, right? Four different types. Well, let's do A to D, since I've already used one, two, and three, and so forth. So, questioner type number A, number A. questioner type letter A is the genuine questioner type a and this is kind of most you know i'd say 80 percent of questioners are genuine questioners that is they have a real question and they really want to know the answer it's a genuine question something that they want to know that they didn't already uh that you are the experts who's answering the questions and so they want to know from you right so that's the genuine questioner. and that is the vast majority of questions you're going to get are going to be from genuine questioners. This one is easy in that because what all you need to do here is give your best answer. That's it, right? You know, make sure you know your stuff. You know, you set the ground rules and all of that. You're asked a question. It sounds like a genuine question. You give your best answer. And that's pretty much all you have to do with that one. Even if you don't ultimately know the answer, but you try and give it your best shot. Remember, it's the impression you give rather than the answer itself that's going to carry the day in the minds of your audience. So give your best answer because it's a genuine question. So that one's quite easy, right? So type B, questioner type B, is the show-off, right? And again, we all know it, we've all seen it. These are the people who are not really interested in the answer They just want everyone to see and hear how clever they are, right, in the question that they ask. They're the ones that often will make a statement and then throw a question in because they just like the sound of their own voice. Now, these kind of questioners, the kind of the show off, are actually usually not hostile to you. What they want is they want the attention for themselves. So they're not trying to trip you up. They're not trying to show you up. They're not trying to attack you. They just want to ask something that makes everybody think, oh, that was such a clever question. That person must be interesting, right? So the way to handle the show off is actually just to give them what they wanted in the first place. You can flatter them. You can say, oh, that's a great question. Thank you for that. And make them feel good. Flatter them so that they feel like, oh, yes, I was really appreciated. And they will actually, in their minds, they'll also give you the benefit of that. When they sit down, they'll think, oh, yeah, great guy, great girl. You know, she answered the question. He answered the question, right? So flatter them. Uh, Do your best to answer the question. Tell them it's a great question. Answer as best you can. One thing that that the show-off loves is if you actually then ask them for their own opinion. So, oh, great question. And you give your answer. But what do you think? Give them just one more opportunity to shine. You know, cut it short so they don't go on for ages and ages. But just giving them that, they will love it. People will recognize what you're doing. They'll appreciate you for it because they'll see, well, that's pretty generous. I wouldn't have done that. And the, the show-off who got the chance to shine was flattered by you, even asked a question by you that allowed them to even give their knowledge on the subject. They'll love you as well. So you'll come out looking great in their eyes and in everyone else's eyes. So that is... Type B, the show-off, and how to handle the show-off questioner. Okay, now let's get into a little bit more spicy now. Type C, this is the passive-aggressive questioner, right? Now, you know what I mean, right? So passive-aggressive is basically polite on the outside or polite on the surface, but beneath that, they're actually attacking you in a subtle way. Right there. They're trying to show you up. It's it's not a genuine question. It's a genuine attempt to kind of undermine you the passive aggressive. Now, the key with this is is this don't take the bait, even if you know, even if you recognize what they're trying to do, don't rise to it don't attack, don't respond in a hostile manner because you are conceding the moral high ground to them. And that just makes it worse. First of all, it will diminish you in the eyes of your audience because even though they could recognize the person was being passive aggressive, they'll say, well, but they didn't actually behave in a hostile way. So why are you being hostile to them, right? So you've already lost and you've given the moral high ground to the passive uh, aggressive questioner. The key with this kind of questioner, is actually to treat them with utmost respect so you almost kill them with kindness you treat their question even though you know really it's a bit of an attack you treat it like it was a completely genuine question and you give them all courtesy and all of that so that it's basically saying thank you for your question okay and then you try and answer it and a really good trick actually as well is enlist the help of the audience to answer the question. And I'll, I'll actually, I'll save this for the tips at the end as to why this works very well. But it's just enlist the help of the audience to answer the question you know oh um that's that's a really very good question uh what do you guys think and then you know see and get into a discussion and because people will contribute their thoughts and ideas and the useful thing about that is that it deflects the attack you know you did you just you just kind of "Mm, i'm not going to deal with that one so you didn't rise to it you didn't take the bait you responded in an extremely courteous fashion so that you basically dampened their attack and passive aggressors don't want to be open and aggressive right so they're not going to respond in a more passive in a more kind of aggressive way or openly hostile way and you get the audience on board which actually gets the audience on your side as well so it's a really effective way of dealing with questions from the passive aggressive questioner right so that is type c and let's deal now with the fourth type and this is you know you knew it was coming right this is type d which is the hostile questioner, right? The person who just stands up and actually just has a nasty approach to the question, openly hostile approach. Now, this is very, very rare. I can say I've only had it a few times uh, in my kind of speaking career, right? Uh, Not judges. (laughs) You get a whole load of hostile judges. (laughs) I'll probably get in trouble with the bar for saying that. But yeah, so I'm not talking about if you're a barrister or a lawyer and you have to deal with judges. Just accept that a whole load of them will be kind of hostile in their questioning. But generally with other audiences, it's very rare to get a hostile questioner. Now, the useful thing about this is that nobody likes them, right? People recognize immediately that they're basically bullies and they're trying to kind of dominate the the narrative, trying to dominate the, you know, take ownership of Of the event, essentially, so the key with hostile questioners as you you talk about with bullies, don't give in to them, don't humor them, don't appease them don't let them take don't let them take over. you simply answer the best you can, keep it short, and then move on you don't even have to be particularly courteous it's just answer the question and then move on to the next person. The audience is going to know what's going on. They're not going to want you to humor the, the hostile questioner. They'll be happy that it's been done and it's over and done with. And again, the impression you're giving is this is someone who is completely in control and who dealt with things in the way that I would like to think I would deal with it if I was a person taking the question. So again, remember, it's not the answer, but the impression that you give that actually matters most. So those are the four types of questioners. And if you keep that in mind when you have the Q&A or the questions, uh, whether it's in a meeting or so forth, it will help you with how you approach answering. Because remember, it's not the answer, but the impression. When you know the type of questionnaire you're getting, then you'll be able to know, well, what's the approach I should take to answer this to enhance my authority at the end of it all. Hope that really helped those five principles and four different types of questioners. Let me give you a few kind of do's and don'ts tips. Uh, which I've discovered actually people find useful. So I'll kind of throw in my, this is my take, my further take on dealing with questions. Uh, number one tip is to buy time, right? To buy time. Just repeat the question back to people. It's useful because it gives you just that, you know, few seconds extra thoughts and then your, your thought patterns kind of click in and then you realize what the answer is that you want to give. Uh, it's also useful actually, because it often gets the person who asked the question to restate their question or to give it greater context so very often if you you can actually repeat verbatim the question that was asked or maybe the last part of the question so you know if somebody says or asks a question well you do when situation x affects scenario b (laughs) i should have thought about the questions i was going to ask but yes what would you do when situation x affects scenario b and you literally repeat back Oh, you mean if situation X affected scenario B, and what happens is that when people hear their own question, it immediately prompts them to give further context or further explanation or amplification or clarification on the question that they themselves ask. They'll say, "Yeah, you know what I mean when X, Y, and Z," right? And the useful thing about that is, A, you get the further context and B, you get more time to think so that by the time it's time to answer, you're ready to answer because you know your staff and all of that. So repeat the question back to them as a way of buying time at uh, number two which is uh related to the kind of repeat the question back which is to reframe the question so reframe the question so somebody asks something and you say oh you mean this and then you ref- reframe it to something that you're kind of basically more familiar with and then you answer the question that you reframe even if it's not exactly the question that they asked now avoid using this one too often because it's a bit of a politician and kind of people have seen it so often now that they're a little bit used to it and they won't like it if they sense that that is just all you do so my rule of thumb is you get one of those per q a session or if you're doing the q a in front of the same audience and you get one kind of every 10 sessions right so don't use it too often it is useful to kind of Take a difficult question into a, into an area that you're more comfortable with. But if you overuse it, then people aren't going to like that at all. A tip number three is, is dealing, is using the, oh, great question. Now I have, you know, suggested, yeah, do say great question, especially to the show off because they love to hear that. But. People so often now will say, oh, great question, and then go on to answer that it's kind of lost its effect on an audience because they hear it so often. So you can do the same thing, but you just use different phraseology, right? So say things like, oh, that's a really unique question. I've not heard that before. Or that's a timely question because right now this is what's going on. And that's why it's really relevant to our times today, right? Do you see how All you're doing is taking the same thing, which is essentially to give props to the person answering the question or asking the question, but you're not doing it in the way that everybody does, which is saying great question." You're just using different terminology, terminology, but to the same effect. So that's kind of my tip number three. Tip number four, and this is the one that I kind of mentioned earlier that I said I would come back to, which is to enlist the audience in the answer process. Now, why does this work? This is a great one, by the way, is so what you basically do is you turn yourself from being the answerer of the questions to the facilitator to get the answer. Right. So what you're saying is I may not know the answer myself but I'm going to use the audience to engage in a discussion to try and get the answer out of that discussion. The great thing about this is it completely takes the focus off you. So whether you knew the answer or you didn't, it enlists the audience and someone in the audience or people will basically be able to pitch something that actually sounds like a great answer to the question. So you get the benefit of the answer does come out. But still, and this is the beautiful part, is that, even though you were just the facilitator, when the audience processes it in their minds, they will still give you the credit for the answer that came out. In the end, they will they will even, I've had this, when they'll come up to me and say, oh, that was a great answer, you know, that was a great response, or oh, I'd never thought of it that way. And I'm thinking in my my mind, yeah, I wasn't the one that came up with that. But they associate the answer that came out of that session with you having given it, even though it actually wasn't you. So, you know, if you ever had that experience where you've retweeted something and people have kind of like, oh, yeah, that's really great. And you're thinking, well, all I did was retweeted. It It wasn't actually me that said the initial tweet. It's the same kind of process. People will give you the credit for whatever comes out of something that you were, were responsible for even if you weren't the originator or the creator. So I love that one because it gets the audience involved and gets them on board. It deflects any difficult questions. I use it in particular with the passive aggressive and it kind of basically turns the audience into my allies, which is always a great place to be. So if you can enlist the audience as a facilitator. Uh, related to that tip number, I don't know, what are we, probably five now, is uh, lean into or step into the audience. If you are dealing with Q and A's, this is kind of more a body language thing, which is it's basically giving an audience, the audience an impression that you are part of them and it will change the tone of the questions you're asked. It will make them feel like, okay, this, this guy or this woman is one of us. Uh, so we're asking questions in a friendly environment as opposed to a bit of a back and forth kind of you against me. Uh, approach so step into the audience physically if you can actually walk or just lean forward into the audience if you're having you're seated or or stood uh, but apart from them so just a kind of a body language one and the final tip is don't lie okay <laughs> don't lie don't try and make things up as you go along in the hope that nobody's going to realize they will everybody can spot a liar when it comes to it and it will destroy your credibility and your authority. And of course, remember, because that's why I started with this. It's not your answer to the question that matters. It's the impression you create by how you answer that actually counts. So don't feel like, oh, if I don't answer the question, they're going to think worse of me. You want to make sure that you are answering the question in a way that gives the impression that you want to create, which is I am an authority in my field. And if you don't know the answer, the worst thing to do will is to lie. Just admit that you don't know the answer audiences will forgive you for it they'll say you know what nobody can know everything or use trick number six or whatever it is which is to enlist the audience in answering the question and then when the answer comes out they'll still give you the credit for having given them the answer so don't lie don't make it up (laughs) just be honest and try and answer the question as best you can i hope that helped uh, it's only helped me because, as I say, questions is still kind of a bit of my Achilles heel, uh, even though I'm much better at it now. Uh, if you love to read, which I know a number of you listeners do, I've got a link to my article on it, which is at greatspeech.co forward slash. Oh gosh, this is a bit difficult. So it's how to deal with questions. So forward slash how to deal with questions, but there's a hyphen between each word. So it's actually forward slash how uh hyphen two hyphen deal hyphen with hyphen questions <laughs> yeah i didn't really think about that uh well don't worry it's in the show notes so just click that's going to be easiest right because then you don't need to type anything it's in the show notes have a look for it and click and it will take you through to my website where you'll see the article on how to deal with questions uh remember please 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 press the subscribe button if you haven't already press the share button if you haven't already and of course send in your review because i will give you a shout out uh which i know people love to have so i hope you enjoyed that episode uh, next one I think will be the interview that I have bagged. It's just a question of whether we get the kind of the dates done in time. Uh, Otherwise, it will be another topic that uh, I'll have to think about. I haven't worked out yet what it will be, but hopefully it will be something that is of interest. So thank you guys for listening. I shall leave you, as always, with goodbye in a different language, which this week will be in Vietnamese, and it is is Biet. Tambi, I don't know why I did that in a Italian accent. Yeah. I don't know what a Vietnamese accent sounds like, but Tambiet. (laughs) Thank you guys. Goodbye.